This is Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation, and welcome to another episode of New Thinking, a podcast produced by the Center for Court Innovation to highlight practitioners, researchers, and others who are experimenting with new approaches to justice. Today, I'm in the Harlem Community Justice Center with some people who make the Harlem Parole Reentry Court a reality. The Reentry Court, which was launched in 2001, is one of many experiments around the United States seeking to address the fact that within three years of their release from state or federal prison, about half of ex-offenders return for either a new crime or parole violation. With me today are Administrative Law Judge Grace Bernstein of the Division of Parole, Senior Parole Officer Alfonso Camacho, Reentry Coordinator Nigel Jackson, and Deputy Project Director of the Harlem Community Justice Center, John McGaw. Welcome, everybody. Hello, Mom. Um, so let me start off with a straightforward question. What is the Harlem Parole Reentry Court? Uh, Rob, we opened up in uh, 2001, and it was an effort by the Division of Parole, uh, which sort of acknowledged the difficulty of uh, men and women who have gotten out of prison staying out of prison. Uh, Nigel and uh, Al Camacho's uh, staff go into the prison prior to uh, the release of the inmate. They get a lot of information. Uh, then when they come out, on the day that they're released, they appear here and they appear before Judge Bernstein. Um, and the idea is that they will, they need to be more accountable and we help them get to jobs, we help them get into treatment programs, and we, every other week, review how things are going. We work with them for six months, but if they successfully make the, uh, they make it through the first, their first six months after release, then we have a big graduation ceremony um, and celebrate their, uh, their success. Generally, how long have they been in prison? Is there, is there a wide range? Our parolees consist of violent, nonviolent um, offenders that um, can vary in time of incarceration from a year to five to ten. One individual in particular did spend a, a, a significant amount of time in jail for 20 years, and he's doing well, by the way. Well, so I would think that someone who's been in jail that long has a tremendous number of needs, uh, you know, housing, job, I mean, just getting reoriented in the community. And John, you know, referred to the kinds of services, but I mean, but how do you really get in there and, and support someone like well, that? Well, unlike the traditional services where mostly everything is done by referral, here at Harlem Reentry, all the agencies involved though, that are anticipating this person's arrival with uh, more or less a coherent plan installed for them with the goal, hopefully, that this individual, the needs are already known by each interdependent agency and therefore to lead to the same basically common result of hopefully providing the services this individual may need. Last year we had a number of individuals who had served a significant amount of time, 20 years I think, some even more. When they come out of prison, they're very motivated, but they come out of prison sometimes with no place to go. We provide immediate housing. One guy said he didn't even know anything about a MetroCard when he got out. Mm. And he w actually went back to school. And a man, these are men in their 50s. I mean, these are not young people. Uh, somewhere in their 40s. Thing. And, uh, you know, we, we give them what they need, and, and there's a very supportive environment here. But that, you know, a supportive environment and everything isn't what does it. What does it is the immediacy of the services. 
That's what does it. And parole officers, senior parole officers who really want this to succeed and work very, very hard with the individuals because it's not always, oh, he comes in and for six months it's perfect. And I imagine that there are some people who have been in prison a long time, they've been involved with the justice system, and then they're brought to a courthouse after their release do some people, I don't know, react negatively or, or have some issues around that, being brought before a judge again when they thought they were done with judges? So I would say yes. They definitely have a problem with seeing a judge. When that 99% of the, of the people, mm. they, they, you know, they have a big problem coming to see a judge as well as a parole officer. Maybe I give a, maybe a 20-minute talk to everyone that we're interviewing before individual interviews. There's a lot of apprehension. So at one point I asked, you know, what's the problem? And he say, every time I see a judge, I go to prison. So at that point, I changed my whole spiel. And I let them know how Judge Bernstein is. She's their biggest ally. And they have to meet her before they judge what type of person she is and what her role is. And I let them know the only person that can violate you first is yourself and your parole officer. And Judge Bernstein is there to help you. And if you need a kick in the butt, she's going to kick you in the butt. So, and Judge Bernstein, I understand that you spend a good part of your week, actually, at Rikers. That's not part of the reentry court, where you are looking at parole violators, I, perhaps. I parole can, violators, and if somebody violates from here, then they know that if that has to happen, and we tell them this is the whole purpose for not to send you back to jail. <laughs> That's my opening statement. We're here not to send you back to jail. Um, that they know they're going to come before me. And they, they know when, they, I, I tell them it's not a Chinese menu where you can choose some of your conditions, like part of A and not B, that you have to do everything. If there's a problem, come in, talk to us. We, we try very hard to work with them as long as they're working with us. Uh, there was one incident yesterday, if I have a, can have a minute, which I think really says a lot about the program. Uh, I was in the waiting room and, and where the people stand, and I'll talk to them and they'll tell me their problems, if they're doing well or not, whatever. But this particular individual said his son is in, his son has graduated high school and is in, and then will be going back to where he lives and to college, and he wanted to bring his son here to meet everybody. And he wasn't sure, could he come in next week, even though, even though it's not his regular day, to meet his parole officer and bring his son? You know, every once in a while there's something that says everything. And I think that says everything. But, but let me ask, so your role is very different when you're here. I mean, you, do you, you feel different as a, as, a, as a judge? You're doing something different. Your function is different yes. here than I, when I you're on Rikers. I feel sometimes that, um, you know, at the, sometimes it's at the finish line and coaching. You can do this just a little bit more. You can do this. And sometimes to say to them you can't, or sometimes to make them feel that they can do something, that they can have confidence in themselves to, when they fall, to move forward again feel that my purpose here really is to make sure that they do not violate and go back to jail. This is why I'm here. This is why I want to be here. You know, the irony uh, to your earlier point about their reluctance, resistance to see a judge when they first hear about it from Nigel and the parole staff in Queensboro before they're released, the irony is that when they complete their six months, very few want to return to regular parole supervision. They all want to stay in this program. Unfortunately, we can't uh, continue because there are new parolees that need to come in. Sure. But it's a complete turnaround in that time because of the attention that they get here. Do you find it a challenge sometimes to find them housing or jobs because people are reluctant to house ex-offenders or employ ex-offenders? We do have agencies that can accommodate at least this particular group of individuals because, again, we, um, 
have established <clears throat> a relationship with other agencies like Palladia that can take our undomiciled offender. Mm, I see. You know, so we do have things in place for that. It's temporary housing. I mean, there's no, right. uh, there's no uh, question that housing is tight, especially for someone who is working a low-level job and doesn't have the money to be able to afford an apartment in uh, Manhattan. Jobs, actually, the other the other part, you know, jobs is one of the other stumbling blocks. Um, we have a uh, the division of parole uh, works with, and we work with an agency called the Center for Employment Opportunities. So we set up, and again, that's it's the immediacy of the services. The parolees begin a transitional work um, right away, and so they they are going each day, getting into a routine of going. Going, getting up in the morning, getting to a job, working, and they get a paycheck at the end of every day. So they have a little money in their pocket to begin to sort of uh, support themselves and to provide for their families, something they may not have done for, for many years. We also work with agencies in this area, uh, encouraging them to hire uh, ex-offenders. And so have you observed uh, certain characteristics that the most successful participants have? I mean, what makes for a successful participant in the reentry court? I think what, what it is is real determination not to go back to jail. I'm not going back to jail. And yeah. I'm going to do whatever is necessary and, I'm, and, and persistence and not getting discouraged. What the it, yeah. And the problem is the drugs, though. That's that's a whole separate issue. Yeah, there is a, a renewed um, sense of responsibility for their actions. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a short-term program for six months, but to just instill certain behaviors that they can carry on to their next PO, because when they leave here, they do get transferred to a regular field PO. Mm -hmm. But um, unlike that field PO getting a fresh individual out of jail with all these needs, these individuals have probably have achieved or have reached most of their needs. So it becomes actually a, a pretty decent transition for them to continue their life with parole as part of it. Remain working, stable residency, and of course, abstinence from drugs. Those three things are basically the, the most common factor to recidivism that I see in my years as, as a PO. Some parolees react very positively when they have extra responsibilities thrown on them when all of a sudden they're responsible for a child that they didn't think they would be responsible for and they know they have to get themselves together. When somebody in their family is ill and they know they have to be there for that mm -hmm. person. It's finding that motivating yeah, factor. That, that's mm -hmm. something yeah, that says, I'm going to do it. It's right. no longer do it for parole or you get locked up. That premise is out the window. Yeah. You know. Nationally, I mean, I understand there's a trend towards more attention on reentry, that that's a focus. What's your sense of that? You know, 15 years ago, the term reentry was not really in the vocabulary of criminal justice, uh, you know, experts and policy folks. Well, the fact is that about 600,000 men and women are released from state and federal prisons uh, each year, and there's a recognition that about half of them, or the problem is, about half of them end up in in jail or prison uh, within three years, um, and so. In 2001, I think 2001 was really the year in which, uh, not just in New York State, but other states as well, where they started to look at the rate of recidivism and the approach to dealing with that problem. 
And so New York State, and, and this court in particular, was, I, I actually thought we were the first in the United States. It turns out I think we're the second or the third reentry court that uh, started. But 2001 is when the, the other courts started as well. Now, I just learned actually a couple of weeks ago at a conference center in St. Louis, there's about 50 reentry courts around the country. What kind of results have you seen? Have you been able to track participants and see if the lessons that they've learned here have stuck? Here, oh, since actually 2006, we're, we're proud to report that over 85% of the men and women we've worked with have been successful. So that means that they haven't violated or had no arrests. And so I can even add more recency to that as mm -hmm. our graduating class here. I mean, we're going to have a graduation soon. Um, <clears throat> from the beginning of the year, January, quite frankly, I've totaled, uh, I think, about three arrests from that whole population of over 70 parolees, give or take. Wow. That's amazing, really. That's great. Really. What I like to see is really uh, agency cooperation and coordination combined with individual determination mm -hmm. is resulting in the positive numbers that you see here. Well, I wonder if any of you have any final comments you'd like to share with others who might be thinking about ways to ease the transition from prison to the community. Just um, like um, everyone says, the coordination with the different agencies that provide the services, the service providers, you have to have some sort of collaboration. And when we come together in our monthly meetings, this also makes the person be uh, responsible because they know that we're talking. They know they can't go and jive us Oh, I went to the program. No, we get a report every week. So these are the things that I, you know, the programs are very important as well as our collaboration and the responsibility that the parolee has that he knows that we are speaking to each other every week or every day. Communities, localities more or less do have to take a responsibility of the population that's coming in from jail to their immediate, you know, districts or, or residences, whatever. And with that in mind, then parole officers can more or less help these people reach a successful completion of their sentence by having immediacy, what we have here, but it's so lacking in the general parole population as a whole. Right, mm -hmm. right. And the word I was looking for was accountability of, that the parolee has when he knows that we're all in, in communication with each mm, other. Right, they, they can't lie. Right. We've had a problem with someone, and the world is so small. For this one little community, this one little area, and this one project going on here, I really think it does more or less give a model to what should be the new 21st century view of, of um, criminal intervention and you know changing social behavior. About about the program, one of the big things is, is this continued innovation in the program. The program started originally with a very small um, amount of people in it, very small caseloads, all nonviolent. We now have people who are violent, and for the first time, we're now taking women. So there's constant innovations within the program itself. And the one thing that I think needs to be worked on is jobs, 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 and that you know, the community being open to hiring people. Thank you all so much for taking the time to tell me about your work here at the Harlem Parole Reentry Court. Uh, I've been talking with Administrative Law Judge Grace Bernstein from the Division of Parole and Senior Parole Officer Alfonso Camacho and uh, the Reentry Coordinator Nigel Jackson and the Deputy Project Director of the Harlem Community Justice Center, John McGaw. Uh, thanks so much to all of you. Thank um, you. Thank you. And uh, to learn more about the Harlem Parole Reentry Court, you can visit the Center for Court Innovation's website at www.courtinnovation.org. At the bottom of the homepage, you'll see a tab labeled Reentry. 
and you can subscribe to the New Thinking Podcast through iTunes, or you can visit us on the podcast page at www.courtinnovation.org. I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. Thanks for listening. Thank you.